Welcome back, everyone, to the Performance Through Health podcast with me, Martin McPhillamy. Today, we have uh, Dean Gladstone on. And uh, I'm going to have to admit that I actually, over in England, when I, back maybe 10 years ago, I used to watch Bondar Rescue uh, with my uh, my younger brother. It was something that I just enjoyed because I have always been fascinated with Australia. It's one of the reasons why I came over uh, in 2016. So it's a, it's a pleasure to speak to you today, Dean, and hear all your journey about the breath. You know, Gene is a... Maybe a personal trainer, lifeguard, oxygen advantage coach, Wim Hof coach, power of breath is your uh, course and company as well. Um, so everyone go and check him out on, on social media, jump on and get involved. But Dean, I'd love to you know, really hear your story. Obviously, you come from a life-saving uh, background and there's a lot to do with breath there. But how, how what's your journey been like to get you involved in actually teaching breath work and, and integrating that into your life yourself? Yeah, I've got a couple of stories in my life and it all sort of weaves into one bigger story. But essentially, I was hospitalised uh, with asthma uh, as a nine-year-old child. And for me, um, intu- it was rather intuitive, I believe. I'm not sure if people told me, but um, I-, I felt it, the connection between the swimming training that I was doing and I had stopped and I ended up sort of my asthma got pretty severe. And then it, it was really just this connection between the regulated breathing from swimming um, that was keeping that, that disease away. Um, you know, now as, as I delve into functional breathing training, I look back and it's quite clear I was a dysfunctional breather at school and the learning difficulties and so many things associated with that. But um, the the swimming was regulating my breath somewhat to enable me to do sport and to, I guess, survive. And, um, you know, surviving sort of quite well. Um, but, yeah, um, the swimming is a mouth-breathing exercise, so I do hypothesise all the competitive swimming that I did actually probably contributed to my mouth-breathing hmm. during the day and at night. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so you started. To, uh, you, so you were a nationalist when you were swimming, wasn't you? I think over. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I competed um, in still water swimming and surf swimming. So we swim for the local surf club. So we're racing in the ocean, um, and I, I love that. Yeah, I competed at high levels. I, I made rep teams. We won national and international medals, and yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I, I did really well. Um, when I was about 25, I was king hit and had my four front teeth knocked out. Hmm. Um, and that sent me in, and we talked a little bit about stress at the start. So that sent hmm. me into a deep, dark um, state of stress, anxiety, um, depression. I had sugar allergies. I had gluten allergies. I used to, uh, I had skin, skin rashes and disorders. I used to scratch myself till I bled at night. Wow. Um, and at this stage, I was already a lifeguard and I was already a personal trainer, but um, this, I ended up with a guy called Paul Check. I don't know if you're familiar yep. with Paul Check. And I ended yep. up on the on a, on a Czech program or reading his book first and then ended up with a Czech trainer and just loving the um, learning about the parasympathetic nervous system. And, yeah, delved into a little bit of holistic lifestyle coaching. Um, And, yeah, you know, for me, the holistic lifestyle coaching was very much getting people into that parasympathetic nervous system and understanding it. And the the Czech stuff, I thought Paul was a long uh, long way ahead 
of a lot of the other trainers and, you know, looking at society today, like, every, you know, these terms are, are mainstream. You know, mm-hmm. if you talk about the parasympathetic nervous system, a lot of the a lot of the gen pop know what you're talking about. Sort of, t- if I said that ten years ago, like you get funny, funny looks. So yeah, a, a lot has changed, um, and the breathwork stuff that I now I'm super passionate about, and I could talk about it from a lifeguarding angle or so many different angles, um, is very much what I loved about understanding the nervous system and particularly the parasympathetic nervous system when I was studying that check stuff um you know as we could talk about asthma we could talk about me bringing people back to life and the stress stress that I've seen firsthand of watching people um you know almost die and you know I have seen unfortunately people die and in some cases I've brought them back to life um so yeah there's a there's a whole range of things that just um like you, I'm fascinated with stress and breath and um, I love people helping people influence it because it changes their life. Yeah, there's a, there's a few things that I want to touch on. I definitely want to kind of, um, an angle that I haven't explored is obviously the, the lifeguard sort of stuff and how like you've integrated that in there. Well, and I think we'll dive that in, in a moment. But going back to the very beginning, when you talked about swimming and how swimming has actually helped you coordinate your breathing and that probably potentially helped with your asthma, it's really interesting because what we know about the lung capacities and the actual how the lungs develop, we know that sport itself or fitness itself doesn't actually change the capacity of the lungs. It doesn't like you, you don't increase the size of your lungs with sport as you develop, but there is one particular sport that actually does do that. And that is swimming. So when there's there's a uh, there's a there's a suggestion that people who swim from a young age have developed large larger lungs than than usual because you have to breathe against the pressure when you're underneath the water because you're what you're doing is essentially you are respiratory muscle training whilst you're swimming at the same time because there's a there's a there's a pressure difference that you've got to breathe against. So it's interesting that you, you know you were saying that you felt it was regulating just the coordination of your breathing, but perhaps there was another aspect that was actually training your lungs at the same time from doing it as a young young age. Uh, so that's one thing I wanted to just you know, just touch on there. It was uh, something that I learned maybe eight or nine years ago when I was measuring lung capacities. But yes, the the angle that you you know you've 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 taken with the the light, like saving people's lives and stuff like that, and understanding those concepts. How how have, the, how have you managed to integrate? like that, I guess, into, into life-saving? Um, well, for, for me, I'm, I'm training lifeguards to, to understand stress. I, I'm trying to um, work on a broader level. Unfortunately, I'm not having much success with some of the powers that to be because when people get stuck in a rip and about 400 people die every year in, in, in rips and, and currents and, and drowning in Australia, the, the message is don't panic. Now, you know and I know that the science behind Don't Panic and, um, you know, having rescued over 5,000 people, um, you know, I could write a book on it. But, um, yes, you know, being able to train lifesavers and lifeguards um, is, I guess, a direction that, that I'd love to go in now. If I can't get the the powers to be behind it i guess you know I, you know i'm training other people in corporate you know i'm training rugby league football teams um yeah but it would be nice to to really yeah sort of train that you know no, this that- is a, a worldwide movement you know life saving started in australia um 
you know, I get messages from all around the world that people have seen Bondi Rescue footage and it's helped them sort of save lives, which is a beautiful thing. Um, and in and in a very much real sense, I'm continuing on 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 a way to help people at the moment. It's just, I guess, not saving lives at that the pointy end, rescuing people. It's in more of a preventative measure. Mm. No, that's uh, no, it's not ever something I've ever thought about. How like you know, teaching the lifeguards those methods of being able to keep people calm. Uh, and I've got a personal story myself. I. I, uh, I grew up in, in Coventry in the UK, which is basically like the middle of the island. So it's a three-hour drive from any ocean. So my knowledge of the ocean when I moved to WA was not, like non-existent, pretty much. And like the amount of swimming that I did, you know, I learned how to swim in a swimming pool with my parents, but not like any strength swimming or anything. And uh, I do enjoy the ocean, but I was over, it's my first year out there and it was, a, it was a winter and it was quite a stormy day. And I remember seeing some guy kayak surfing on like the big waves that were coming through. And mm. I thought, oh, that looks so cool. That looks awesome. So I decided one day after work just to go and borrow my mate's kayak and just go and give it a go myself to see where I can give it a crack. And he just gave me some pointers. It's like, you know, if you go out, just keep the boat straight. If you hit a wave, just keep your head down, get out to the back, turn around, come back in. It's fine. So I'm like, right, I'll give it a crack. Like, I go out there, stupidly went out there with like no one other than myself. Um, and it was pretty stormy. Uh, and as I was getting out, I hit this wave. I was like, okay, the boat goes over. Another wave comes over and it froze me up. And I smashed my face, myself in the face with the oar. And then I'm out, I'm out of my depth and I'm dazed. I'm looking around and all of a sudden, like the boat's just gone off. And I'm like, I've got an oar in my hand. In my head, I'm like, I don't want to let go of that because it's my mates. It doesn't belong to me. I'm trying to swim back in. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, WA waters, sharks, I'm getting concerned. And then I start to panic. And then I start to panic and start to try and swim as hard as I can. Trying to swim as hard as I can, I'm going nowhere. And I'm trying my hardest and hardest to go in anywhere. And I'm panicking more and I keep going and keep going. Eventually, I do get to a point where I can get my feet to the ground. But my legs were so fatigued, I couldn't even stand up. I kept dropping and dro- yeah, dropping, wow. dropping underneath the water. And to a point where I said to myself, I've got to go as hard as I can and swim as hard as I can for the next 30 seconds to get myself to a point where I can literally walk out. And I crawled to the ocean, blue, pale, white on the face. And a couple ran over to me like, are you okay? I was like, no, I think I just drowned. It was in that moment I learned what a rip was, what the ocean, <laughs> that the ocean is you know, so powerful and it's, uh, you know, you've got to be aware of these sort of things and not to do stupid things like that. But had I known to stay calm, to stay relaxed and you know, let, let, you know, know the ocean and even, even when I got out how to you know, recover my breathing rather than panicking at that point, it would have mm. been so much easier for me to... Uh, I guess you know, not be so concerned. I remember that night I, I cooked my dinner. I went to sit down for dinner and I passed out and woke up on the table with my dinner next to me because of the adrenaline dump. What? Yeah, exhausted. Well, it's a little bit counterintuitive and, and that's the interesting thing. You know, intuition says, you know, I've got to get to safety. Hmm. Um, and then that fight or flight response enables, you know, enables us to have more blood flow to certain areas of the body, unfortunately, our critical um, thinking is downregulated, and you'd know some of the science better better than, than I. And it's um, yeah, it's a it's a tragedy waiting to happen for sure, for sure. So let's let's talk about it a little bit, like uh, you know, the, the stress sort of stuff. So, like, you know, if you were um, 
if you were, let's, let's take an example of someone in that situation. If someone's, if they are panicked, but they've managed to get out of the water, but they're still feeling like they've got the adrenaline in them. They're like, you know, what sort of process would you take to go through and take, take them through to help, help a person calm down? I think that'd be quite valuable for a listener to hear about really. Yeah, interesting. Great question. I don't actually, you know, that if a person's safe on the stand and it's a busy day, uh, unfortunately, they're they're very unlikely to unless they fully hyperventilate themselves mm. into, or they've swallowed water. Um, yeah, they're probably too busy for our attention on 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 sort of those crazy you know on busy days yeah, yeah, they're yeah, performing yeah. hundreds yeah. of rescues. So if someone's yeah. safe on the sand, we're we're not too worried about them. We're more worried yeah, yeah. about the people in the water. It's, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, a little bit so, like a firefighter trying to put out fires. There's you're just looking around, just trying to spot stuff. It's it's hectic when it's on. Yeah, well, I, I guess that the a good a good situation there for maybe the listeners that are maybe popping and listening to this. If that if you're not able to attend those sort of individuals, then there's something that we can empower them with. If maybe they're feeling mm. panicked on the side of the water, like you can't give them the attention, but perhaps there's something through this conversation that they can take away to go. Okay, actually. Dino and Martin discussed this on a podcast. I heard it. Like, let's not panic. How do I regulate my breathing mm. so that I'm no longer feeling panicked? Well, like, you know, it's it's exactly what we teach. And the first one may be stress awareness, and that's understanding that you are panicked and and the breath may be that giveaway, the the posture, the mouth breathing, the um, you know, the the sweaty palms or, or that or that stress feeling in the body, uh, that cold, clammy skin. And it's um, yeah, that's it's a fairly normal response. Um, what and and it's okay initially. But what we, we don't want to do is, is is stay in it for too long. So we want to try and recover and, and get back to normal. And that's where um, some intentional slow breathing um, and that bi-directional feedback using using the um, parasympathetic nervous system just to downregulate the body by telling the body it's okay through intentional slow breathing to to get back to um, a better state in the nervous system. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, that's a, you know, if someone's feeling like they are panicked, a bit concerned, they're instantly just trying to get that mouth closed, just trying to take some steady breaths in and out again, just getting, you know, like you said, showing there's some safety in the environment of your mm. body and the safety in the environment around yourself and that you can you can kind of relax a little bit. And I think that's also going to be yeah. better beneficial for, you know, Delivering, re-delivering oxygen back into the body. If there's been moments where you've, you know, you, you've, you have had an issue with breathing and and under the water, and you've had to get out again, um, mm. and that, that might be a good component. But, okay, so and, and again, that that breathing example is another uh, another one of sort of it's a little bit counterintuitive, right? When we're panicked and stressed, we think we need to breathe more, and it's it's not. We need to breathe less. Mm. and we need to breathe slower not faster and yeah we need to breathe in through the nose so yeah well it's if once people sort of understand that um you know it, it's so simple but yeah there are lots of complexities to it but slow yeah. nasal breathing is it very much very much a huge part of the relaxation response yeah i suppose we could break uh, break it down a little bit because it, it's it's for some people, it is quite hard to understand. Like, okay, if I breathe less and I breathe slower, like, how is that more beneficial to my body? 
like what is it you know what is it doing to my body to to actually allow more oxygen in and all like what what am i trying to get from regulating that breathing and slowing down yeah yeah um yeah well yeah i was trying hitting i was hitting it simple first but yeah we we, we know through the bore effect that um or i guess respiration on a cellular level we need co2 present um and if we're over breathing or, or breathing too quickly, we're, we're blowing out all, all that CO2. So the exchange of gas is just not happening. So coming back to that sort of counterintuitive thought of breathing a little bit less and breathing slower, we're going to have that CO2 present for, for gas exchange. And this is best done, as we've mentioned a couple of times, and I guess people that are familiar with you hopefully will know already that, that nasal breathing is where it's at. Um, nasal breathing is linked to diaphragmatic breathing. Nasal breathing is linked to slower breathing simply because of the, the size of the pipes. Um, nasal breathing is um, linked to nitric oxide release, um, you know, vasodilation and a whole range of um, parasympathetic nervous system responses in the body. So all this is, this is going to help. Yeah, I think... Um... The, 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 whole, the whole concept of the, the bore effect is, is, is where some people kind of get confused, whereas you know, the, the CO2 needing to be there to actually help offload the oxygen into the tissue. If you're, if you're over-breathing uh, in a state of panic or if you've come from a position where you've been struggling with your breath or you've been holding your mm. breath for a period and your oxygen level will already start to drop a little bit lower than it should do, and then you're thinking, I need to help ventilate to get the oxygen back in again. The blood's just going to hold on to that oxygen and the, the tissues are not going to get the oxygen. The brain's not going to get the oxygen, which uh, is going to potentially make things uh, you know, worse. Like, you know, for example, at the moment, I'm doing maximal breath hold training. And if I hold yep. my breath for as long as I can, and then you hyperventilate after you've held your breath, all you're doing is just pulling the oxygen back to the muscles, to, to the blood again, yeah. and you're going to more likely to faint. And you need to mm. slow their breath and recall their recovery breaths. It's exactly the same in a stress situation or a situation if you've been coming out of the water and you're struggling, you're on the ground, and then you you panic. Potentials is, uh, that you're gonna, you know, that's gonna worsen and exacerbate the issue. Mm. Yeah. So it's yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it's it's complex. There's complexities to it, but there's some very simple things that people could do to, and it can potentially save lives. For sure. Um, and so from, a, from an aspect of obviously, if you're trying to uh, have a discussion with the powers that be to try and get this integrated into how you can teach and approach the lifeguards, I guess like, what's the benefits of the lifeguards knowing that, uh, like if you were to if we say, for example, we can use this conversation as a, as a pitch to try and get them to, to listen listen more. Like that's it. I know it's a crucial topic. You know, we know that breath is the essence of life. Oxygen, we need it. So in lifeguarding, like why is it not being taught regularly? That's the number one is a question, I guess, for you. And yeah, geez, I, I don't <laughs> know if I can answer some to, questions about some of my um without having to grit your teeth too much. Without, yeah. Um, you know, common sense isn't that common, is is one saying. Uh, or, or, yeah, or, or rather than a challenging question like that, then let's let's not put you on the spot. Um, more of a question of, okay, what what's the benefits that you see bringing that to the table? So you, you know, to answer your question, my team I have trained um, pretty much by myself using my own resources. 
mm-hmm. most of those have come to my breathwork and, and ice bath workshops. I, I'm, I'm available for, for personal coaching and, and influencing and training and writing programs for them and have done for a long time. So I'm already supporting the team. Awesome. Um, yeah, the last couple of years has made trainings and, and things confusing to, um, to I guess, support um, some of the people above me and, and maybe why we haven't sort of formalised this sort of training. But, yeah, you know, dealing with um, stress all day and I worked with... I worked with a group yesterday who had worked with, um, um, you know, or, or fighters. Like you could could imagine, like how severe, like the the stress levels for, for mm. those people is. Um, fortunately, as lifeguards, we're not dealing with people trying to kill us. Although we are dealing with other people, um, in a way, potentially taking the, their lives into their own hands. So it is mm. super stressful, um, and. Uh, yeah, like there's so many ways um, I can support that stress, um, mm-hmm. through, you know, through simple stre- stress awareness, through nasal breathing at night for recovery, um, you know, the way people react and, and deal with um, customer frustrations, customer service, um, you know, because things can get heated for us. For sure. Um, yeah, you know, in a crazy day, there's five or six lifeguards potentially servicing thirty or forty thousand people, and you literally don't have time. You don't have an opportunity to do so. A lot of the things that you'd like to do, it's just sort of keeping everyone alive in in, mm. in those crazier periods where potentially it can all happen. But that that's what we train for, mm-hmm. and um, remaining calm in those situations again connection to, to breath work and and understanding and, and influencing stress response so um yeah we, we a, laugh at it there's a lot there's a lot to it because and it's again like it's more breathing's become more and more mainstream um and and i hope that it's as mainstream as nutrition exercise and and uh, and sleep in terms of the the fundamentals of health like you know it's 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 one of the things that we have to put up there now and say general health chronic health issues stress issues it's just as important to look at your breathing as those three aspects Mm. but in terms of like you know those high pressure situations that you'll find the the likes of the you know your work and the people that you're working with that's the same as the policemen the firefighters the army guys you know it's a it's a life or death situation if you're not able to remain calm in that situation and to be able to uh i guess put your your focus in a certain area and without being distracted by other means, then that's going to be an issue. It's going to be an issue for your performance as a, as a lifeguard to do that, especially for long hours when it's going to be 40 degrees, 12 hour days. I'm assuming it's very long days that you work as well. And in a busy crowd, people trying to come up to you and chat to you because they just like, you know, it's quite a, people just like to enjoy and come to talk to the to lifeguards. It's just one of those one of those things, especially yeah. especially given the popularity of Bondi Beach and and how the uh, and the lifeguards are seen over there as well, like that's that can be a distraction in itself. Let alone the uh, the the what's going on around you in the ocean. So teaching these tools that do, I outright seen reductions in stress of fifty percent. People's focus increasing by eighty percent. Their attention, their capacity with you know, their sleep quality, their energy levels just through putting a practice in of simple breathing tests, let alone the stuff that you do with the ice work as well. 
Yeah, well, um, you know, I don't know what your expertise is with HRV, but on a, a number of levels, all this stuff is becoming more quantifiable. Mm. Um, you, you know, sort of years ago when I, when I started my journey and I was coaching people, um, you know, I don't know, neuroscience wasn't really talked about as much and they're, they're really starting to quantify um, gratitude practices and, and creating neural pathways and, you know, it's such an expanding field. Um, so, yeah, there's potential to gather data, um, implement techniques and demonstrate um, improved cognition, physical mm. performance, immunity um, through through sort of breath stress style of training so yeah are you you know are, are you doing hrv style stuff what's so the- if 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 people have because uh, because i'm obviously traveling around the world at the moment so i don't have mm. access to be able to um get the equipment although i have been thinking about maybe potentially integrating it into a package where i will get the individual to pay for get them, them to get a sense of them and then we can monitor mm. it but if people have their apple watches then um, I have seen improvements. Now I had, I had a, I had a guy. Uh, in fact, he was my very first client when I decided to go all in on on changing my my clinical practice into online stuff. And he had gone through a phase of having testicular cancer. Then he had a pulmonary embolism, and then he had a traumatic experience with a breakup with his partner. And mm. uh, he he presented with breathlessness following you know pulmonary embolism you're going to get that but once it resolved his breathing was still all over the place and he wasn't able to walk up the stairs without getting short of breath and he came for uh it was when i was just leaving the clinical practice he looked we looked at his lungs and his lungs are all okay now but i was like look i think you've got a breathing pattern disorder you're you're you're, there's a lot of upper vertical breathing there's a lot of chest breathing there's a lot of mouth breathing and you're sighing so often i think that all the traumas over the past years of shifted your breathing pattern now would you be open to reprogramming that retraining that and going through a process and he did and one of the measures that we had was heart rate variability and i think to begin with on his apple watch it was 22 and his bulk his bulk score was uh maybe like eight or nine and his his exhale max Mm. test was maybe like i think it was like 15 or 20 around there we managed to double those, and as those doubled, his HRV also doubled, and his perceived stress scale halved. So there was a direct correlate. There was a direct correlation, and I wrote a, I've wrote a case study. I've actually published it on my website, and like the it's it's just, it's there. It's the evidence is so concrete in this individual, and like he was he came out at the end of it, and he's like, I cannot believe the change. People can't believe the change like around me that how much I've changed from just. But he's doing his breathing protocols, and he's like now my biggest advocate for for helping yeah. with testimonials. And and he's, he's a great case study because it shows you how I believe it was PTSD, and yeah. how how that has affected his heart rate variability, and now how the you know, implementing some breathing strategies and uh, other protocols like deep deep breaths and improving his sleep has improved all that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's um, yeah, it's it's fascinating. I, I wish I had time to document more of the testimonials and stuff that I get. I feel like I'm sort of missing mm. some beautiful stuff sometimes after um, after courses. People say the most beautiful thing, but it's it's in a space where it's a little bit sacred and people are sharing, and I want them to feel comfortable. So I don't want to 
jam cameras in their face but it's yeah 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 use um for, for me like i mean i guess it's because i've come from a from a background i've been able to scientifically write because i was in that field but like just even having the data points and just like uh, having where they started, where they finished, no names attached to it at all. Mm. And so people don't know. And you can just take that data point to someone and just say, hey, look, look, look at this. Look, look at how much yeah. this has improved. And like you, know, you just have a scale to start off with, zero to 100, how stressed you feel at the beginning, how stressed you feel mm. at the end. Like that. Yeah, that- well, the bolt score and the. The, yeah. the maximal test are really good. Now, lung assessment, um, what is that something you think me as the breathwork coach should be working with on people? Is that accessible for me or is that equip, equipment to? Yeah, well, I mean, it depends really on how much benefit that it's going to give your sort of clients because, yes, for asthma, 100% for asthma. I mean, you look at spirometry essentially is, is the basic form of like a, a, a lung assessment that you would do if you go to a GP and you had asthma. Yeah. I don't know, you've had those things where you blow as hard as you can through a tube and you and you, you get like the, you know, the volume yeah. that you could breathe and things like that. So, I mean, you could use that sort of thing, but also you can get a balloon. You can get a balloon yeah. and you can see how much someone can fill a balloon and you can say, okay, well, this is the amount of volume that have, you have in, in there. And then maybe yep. after, maybe you could do that before and eight weeks later after training someone who's got asthma just to see, okay, well, has the balloon got bigger or was it easier, like a subjectively feeling as you're blowing into there? That might be a beneficial way to be able to do that. But the equipment... Would that be a one, one breath option? Yeah. So just... Yeah. Blow as hard as you can into there. Yeah. Okay. Well, how big the balloon get? How does it feel in terms of the actual sensations when you're blowing into yep. it? Okay, well, let's do some work eight weeks later six weeks later however long you want to train them for okay let's do it again how did it feel this time yeah assess and reassess I, I love it and um yeah i guess for people listening um you know it is is so simple and so effective setting goals and mm. and um sticking to them yeah i i, I mean everyone that i go through a with a client, if it's an individual, I just literally at the very beginning is like, what, how do you want to feel or what do you want to get from this? And then usually my, my, my breathing stuff or whatever it is that I'm going to implement because I've got the sleep stuff as well or the, the, the you know, relaxing stuff around is like, it's okay, well, we then structure the program around you. It's around your goals. Yeah. How do you want to feel? Yeah. And then we just, then, okay, well, how can we measure that? And look i'll look into some ways of how we measure that and find a subjective way or an objective way to measure it and when we just do that if we measure it once a week or once a month and see how we progress yeah it keeps people so motivated as well yeah it's um yeah it's it's, it's great I, it's so simple and so effective um you know i was in a little rut myself recently i'm like oh i've got to set myself a little goal and so um yeah, I wanted to swim 100 metres underwater and I'm like, well, you know, is, is, is that going to be challenging? I'm like, well, I've only sort of done 75, 80 metres before. That's like 25% more. I think that's a good challenge. And, yeah, wrote myself a program, you know, some yeah. of the protocols that I've developed and then just sort of went through the process and um, trained for it. And it was, um, it, was really, it was really simple and effective. And so whereabouts are you at the moment with that? Like are you I achieved it. Um, yeah, okay. yeah. Cool. I, uh, I, I gave myself 12 weeks and I think I hit it at sort of seven. Um, it was interesting. I was sort of post-COVID when I started and, um, and did really well at the start. 
Um, I, I did sort of 75 metres first That's attempt. Good. And then, um, yeah, I sort of struggled to, to get back to that 75 metres. And once I started consolidating that 75 metres and really feeling comfortable, um, I guess I, I got a really nice day. Uh, nice warm day and I was able to literally just sit and you're almost, you're in a, a slow breathing meditation beside the pool and then just got in and um, yeah just sort of pushed out 100 meters breaststroke underwater one breath um, yeah it felt felt pretty good and and felt amazing to achieve a little goal that I'd set for myself that that pushed me and took me out of my comfort zone and and made me accountable and um, made me a little bit inspired to to just train and, and live. I think when you do that, it almost pulls like all your motivation in, in other areas of your life as well. It's because it just, it's like that, you, the focus and the, the dopamine you get from just knowing that you're moving towards a goal and like it's okay. Well, I think it just helps the structure as, as well. Like, good for you. Like that's, that's a, a hundred meters into water is, is, is a challenging feat because if you think about it, it's like, okay, well, do I want to go as fast as I can, like to try and get to the other side? Like there's a lot of to think in there, not just with the breath and the breath hold, but also remaining calm, like your stroke, your stroke length. Like, so it's uh, like, if you don't mind breaking down some of the things that you you went through in, within, with your training to try and improve that, that'd be quite interesting. Yeah. So I, I have been super busy lately. So getting in the pool any more than once a week um, was too difficult. Okay. So I had to incorporate some dry land stuff. Yep. Um, yeah. I, I basically do some walking breath holds and I've developed a couple of protocols that I've, that I've put in my courses. Um, I've worked with big wave surfers. And we sort of made the analogy before about sort of someone drowning Um um, above the water, a big wave, and they panic. And a big wave surfer goes through, or a surfer goes through a very similar thing, except they're under the water. And when a wave holds you under, intuition t- says, I need to get back up. But again, counterintuitive, it is actually you need to relax and and we don't have to stay down. But if the wave is, is if the ocean is keeping you down, you, you're not coming back up. Nah. So it's here yeah, keeping that heart rate, rate low. So, yeah, so I, I've got some programs. And, again, I can't have them training either by themselves in the water. So we've developed some on-land stuff to, to get them sort of feeling that, that strong um, CO2 tolerance response. Yep, and and get through a certain number of breath holds to increase their um, ability to hold their breath, basically. And that's so, available yeah, for people all, all on your course, on your online that's, course. That, yeah, that, that's a part of my course. Yeah, I go into it a little bit deeper, but yeah, sort of holding the breath and yep. getting that repetitive breath hold and um, and you know relaxing into the stress response because when you hold your breath, it, it's quite stressful. So getting people familiar with that response is is essential mm. Mm. yeah and i, mean, I feel I'm... that probably that's what i had to do i had to get comfortable and start you know get some repetition of hitting 75 meters underwater until i felt comfortable to say oh hang on i can do this i can go that that little bit further it's like you you well, it's tolerance to co2 but it's it's discovering limits as well isn't it and it's okay well 
you don't want to be so stupid that you just go, okay, I'm going to try and hit 80, 90 meters straight away and then just get passed out and it's the end of it. But it's also, okay, can I get to 60? And can I get to 62? Can I get to 65? Like it, it's discovering that limit. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. I'm training for a, a dry maximum breath hold. I've been for the last six mm. weeks. And some of the training that I was doing, uh, I only did it because I saw someone hold their breath for five minutes. I was like, I wonder whether I can do that. So I woke yes. up in the, I woke up, I tried to hold my breath and held my breath for three minutes, 47. And then the following morning, I, following morning, I held my breath for four minutes, 47. I was like, okay, well, I'm naturally pretty good at this. So yeah. naturally I've been training in the past, but uh, I was like, I'm actually going to see how I can take this with my training and set myself a goal, mm. of maybe six minutes plus in my mind. Yeah. But like initially when I was doing my walking apneas or cycling apneas, I could 30 seconds, I could hold on an inhale and that was it. Like I was afraid I was going to die. I was like, that's like, I'm going to pass out any second now or whatever, blah, blah, because then sensations. But you now six weeks later, I'm now doing that like 90 seconds holds. And the yeah, majority, wow. the majority of that is not a physiological change. A lot of that is just being able to stay calm, allow yourself to feel the mm. contractions, to, to, to look at yourself and go, actually, you know, you don't feel like you're going to pass out yet. Like there is some physiological change, obviously, but it's that, it's that building that experience of, of being able to just be re-relaxed despite your body going, mm. get out of this crazy fool. Like stop, yeah. start, start breathing again. Um, yeah, what, what I particularly love, you know, as a breathwork coach, I sort of do it and teach it, but sometimes you don't actually get into it yourself and doing this really brought me back into it i was literally in such a state of meditation before that 100 meters underwater and i was just so focused mm. and um you know i had a consistent meditation pro um, pro, um uh what's the word practice. um consistent practice i was yep. looking p program um consistent meditation practice and you know i i, I did it and i i never got what i get from breathing mm-hmm. um you know and then that's not talking about Wim Hof like that, that simple slow breathing that that before I hit 100 meters underwater was was magical <laughs> man that's so awesome to hear you kind of like inspired me to think okay can I take this to underwater myself now like now I've done it dry and I'm not finished dry but I wonder what because that's another thing another thing is that I know that if I was to put my head under the water and try to hold my breath for five minutes the thought process is different because now your head's mm. in the water. Yes, you've got the mammalian dive reflex, which might help a little bit, but the fact that now I can now drown, but the worst thing that can happen laying on mm. your bed is just you pass out and you wake up because you passed out. That's the worst thing that yeah. can happen. But in the water, it's completely different. Like That's like you know, life and death now. So yeah. um, that's a whole aspect of, okay, can I, tra- can I now translate this training into the water? Yeah, so I teach an underwater rock running course or an yeah. underwater, you know, which was sort of made famous by the Hawaiian big wave surfers. Yeah. So, yeah, we get people through some breath holds, get people, uh, get some pulse oximeters on, get get people some data, show them their blood oxygen levels. And, you know, we I see people with some solid breath holds, better than mine, you know, they're sort of push and then you throw them under the water to try and pick up some dumbbells two or three metres down and they're gone. They're tapping out after 10, 15 seconds. And, so, uh, it's, yeah, it's very, 
very, um, you know, it's a very good way just to place a different stress on someone and put them in an uncomfortable environment and, and learn to, for them to learn to, you know, influence their, their breath or, or their lack of breath while they're down there. Yeah, it's a high, it's a it's the specificity in the context of actually being in the right environment, isn't it? Yeah, mm. which is which is completely different. Um, all right, it was, it's been nice to chat to you. I've got a a question that I always close this on, um, and essentially, it's like if if you were to give a tip for someone starting out on their own breathwork journey, not a coach, but someone just going into just doing breathing themselves. What kind of tip would you give them to to help them start? Yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I deal with a lot of people that have come through the sort of Wim Hof side. Um, so, yeah, um, what I love and what I teach in my courses, I teach a multitude of breathing techniques, a multitude of offerings. And I encourage people to, I guess, follow what they, what excites them, or or what, or what maybe what their gut instinct is, or or whatever they, whatever they choose. So, yeah, it's or whatever they need, whatever their goals are, and and try and and try and get get that get them connected, right? Because there's mm. no point doing something if it's not connected to your goals or it's it's not going to improve your life in some way. So, yeah, I guess we want their, what it to be sort of functional. Yeah, okay. I like that. That's, That's a uh, long way of me not answering your question, really. No, I get it. If you, if you were to summarise, if I was to summarise what, you, what you were saying there is like a number one, explore. Explore and explore, okay, well, what, which one does make you excited? But then also perhaps maybe look at getting some mentoring to see what your goal is to then have the right option to move towards that goal. That's, well, you know, two, two completely valid tips that I would give to someone is because you have to do a practice. Yeah. You have to do a breathing practice that you're going to be able to, that you're actually, you know, the best breathing practice for you is the one you're actually going to do. Yep. And the, second, the second best breathing practice you're going to do is the one that's actually going to take you towards your goals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that that generalized advice over the internet sometimes that you know that the more i learn the the trickier it is to to give it to people and it's like um yeah so no it is is um, changing it is changing i had a like i get many people who come from the one half stuff as well and like it's they 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 have high anxiety levels and they're they're learning to mouth breathe they're learning to breathe fast and i'm saying like hey oh it's is we're gonna have to look at changing that for a moment like i'm not gonna throw women half out the window but we can come back to that but let's get you functional mm. first let's get your breathing light gentle you know deep at rest and then you can start to integrate things that to to make you feel a bit more pleasure and high and and build your stress tolerance because otherwise you're just going to feel now, when you come away from it, you're going to get the anxiety back again, potentially. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> All right, Dino. Um, so if anyone wants to reach out to you to, to get onto the Power of Breath or how can they find your courses, where do they uh, find your, your details? 
Um, yeah, I, I spend a fair bit of time on Instagram these days. Um, Power of the Breath and, and Dino Gladstone. Um, I, I've got a website. If you Google me, there's there's multiple ways to contact me <laughs> um, or, or check out, you know, some of the bits and pieces. There's a little bit of footage of me, you know, with that underwater journey um, on my Instagram. You know, it's fun sort of creating content and, and trying to inspire people, um, which, which you do. I've, I've seen some of your beautiful content. Uh, and shared it recently as well. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm floating around, um, yeah, trying to help people sort of breathe better and and share some of my stories over the years from from rescuing people or, or uh, I, I can't say a cure. Um, you know, my asthma hasn't been seen in the last couple of years. Um, my snoring and sleep apnea have, have sort of lowered significantly as well. So, um, yeah, it's just sh- sharing the ride. Awesome. Thanks very much, Dean. Thanks for thanks for jumping on there and having a chat with me today as well. My pleasure, mate. Uh, have a great day and, um, yeah, thank you. Cheers, mate.